that's when birds began to mate. And the poets kind of picked up on that, and so they kind of blended mating together with love, and out of that came valentines, and yes, that's even where we got the term today, lovebirds. But you know, I got thinking this week that, in, in a sense, every time we get together for worship, it's Valentine's Day. Because we gather here to celebrate God's love for us. It's because he sent us the greatest Valentine that we could ever get, and that's his son Jesus. Jesus is love personified. He is a living, breathing Valentine that says, I love you each and every day. Now, in the text that Jimmy just shared with you this morning from 1 Corinthians 13, a section of God's Word that is often used at weddings, Paul compares love with with several other prized gifts. And maybe you're a little bit surprised if you heard that again, that he shows that no matter what a person excels in, he's of little value unless he has the greatest gift of all, and that's the gift of God's love living inside of him or her. Now, this love is not that sentimental, sappy kind of love that a lot of people experience around uh, Valentine's Day. It is not some sort of theoretical love. Uh, It's not some cheap, theatrical love kind of the stuff where you see on television or in a movie today. It is a deep, quiet, strong love that is born of God It's in his love for us. It's in his love that actually lives in us. Now, if you go to the next screen, you're going to see a quote by Carl Menninger. At his clinic in Topeka, Kansas, Dr. Carl Menninger instructed his staff that the most important thing that they could do for their patients was to show them love in some way. He said if people can learn to give and receive love, they will usually recover from their physical or mental illness. Now, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Think about people that you know that have some physical illness, or people that you know that have some form of mental illness. Carl Menninger suggests that one of the things that would work really good to bring them back around is to show them love. Now, that's not the only answer. I don't want you to give the idea that you just need to walk up to the hospital and walk from bed to bed and say, I love you, I love you, love you, love you, and get up and walk. But there are other ways to do that. But it sure wouldn't hurt. I see a couple, I see a smiley nurse over here. Margie, doesn't hurt, does it, to show a little love? Hugh, to, there's another one, show a little love to those patients. Probably helps in the healing process. Kind of an interesting thing. Go to the next screen. is a Bible passage from Matthew 22. Most of you know this, this verse. Uh, Jesus speaking. And Jesus said, somebody asked him, what's the greatest commandment? We've got all these commandments. In the days of Jesus, they actually had not ten. They had 613 of them. But of all these commandments, which is the greatest? And Jesus said, well, this is the greatest in the law. Love the Lord your God. How? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He said, this is the first and the greatest one. And then he goes on and says, but the second one is a lot like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, all the law, all the prophets, in other words, the rest of God's word, hang on these two commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. 
And then if you think about the Ten Commandments, what are the first number of commandments all about? It's all about loving God, isn't it? And the last number of commandments is all about loving your neighbor. Then, look at the next passage up here from John chapter 13. Jesus says, a new commandment I'll give you, love one another. And then he tells us how to do it. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now think about that for a moment. How did Jesus love us? Well, Jesus, Jesus went all the way to the cross for us. Jesus went to the mat for us. Jesus went as far as anybody could possibly go. And Jesus said, you ought to think about that. He says, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I want to ask you to raise your hand, but who wants to be known as a good lover? <laughs> Tommy, put your hand down. <laughs> Yeah, we all ought to want to be that way. People ought to know that, you know, people ought to know that we've been to church on a Sunday morning when we go to, when we beat the Baptist to the buffet, huh? Not because we got a tie on and we got our church clothes on, but they ought to know we've been there because something kind of radiates from us and it ought to be the love of God in Christ Jesus. Well, how did Jesus love people? Well, Jesus loved people forgivingly. I mean, he didn't hold anything against anybody. He did it understandingly. He did it sacrificially. And then you'll see this next passage in Matthew 5. He gives us one of his really hard sayings. Jesus said in Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and uh, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I don't know about you, but that's pretty radical love. I remember a few years back where I was a little bit worried that I thought a few people in church didn't like me. And I had a friend of mine says, thank God. Now you've got an opportunity to do what? Pray for them. Well, I never thought about it that way. I didn't like the fact that maybe people didn't care for me or whatever, but it certainly opened up a door for me to pray for them. That's radical. Now, how do you get a hold of that radical kind of love where you would actually love your enemies, the people who are not out for your best interest, how do you love people who are always persecuting you, grinding you the wrong way, whatever words, you know, really tick you off? I can tell you two ways. One is by receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the first step. And the second thing is by allowing Him to perfect that in your life. It says, he who has begun this good work in you will work it out. I mean, I mean, just, you know, for example, if Amber and I don't get along, if, if Amber and I are enemies, and we're constantly persecuting each other, but one day Amber says, no, God says, I need to love Pastor Cole, even if he's mean to me, even if he persecutes me, I'm going to do this. You may pray. Now, will that happen instantaneously? No. It might. But maybe over a period of time. And sometimes you just kind of kind of love people into submission. You ever done that with anybody? <laughs> I've done that with a few people, cranky people in my life. I've literally met them, found them to be extremely cranky, crusty, whatever. And I have decided without saying anything out loud, that I am going to hug them into submission. <laughs> and I go out of my way sometimes 
to hug a cranky person. Now, i got to tell you, I remember doing this to a guy in my former church. It's like hugging the telephone pole the first time. Hang in there. Pray for people. See, without a doubt, the greatest need in our world today is the love of God. I want to tell you the story about how love manifests itself. I read this story uh, a number of years ago, but it's a story about Jim and Jack. Jim and Jack were the very best of friends. Uh, They were devoted to each other. They were inseparable. And so when Jim lost both of his legs in a railroad accident, Jack did everything he could do to help him. And at first, Jim was certain his career with the railroad was over, but the company gave him another job. They made him a signalman. And they assigned him to an outpost about 200 miles from anywhere. Well, Jack decided to go along with Jim to help him out in any way that he could. I mean, after all, what's, what's a friend for? Now, Jim had barely recovered from the trauma of a double leg amputation when the railroad gave him that new assignment. He went out 200 miles from nowhere. He lived in a little wooden shack that was about 150 yards away from the signal tower. And it was going to be pretty lonely out there. And there'd be many difficult adjustments for this double amputee to make. But Jack would help out long enough for Jim to overcome these initial adjustments. Now, in the the beginning, Jack just kind of stuck around to provide some company. He would sweep out the shack. He pumped water from the well. He tended the little garden, all things that uh, that, uh, Jim could not do. Now, there was a little trolley, uh, a single-seater that led from the shack out to the signal tower. And every day, Jack would push Jim on that trolley several times a day and would stand there while Jim operated those big railroad levers. And eventually, Jack got so familiar with the routine that he began to just walk out there himself and operate the signal system all by himself. And sure enough, pretty soon, in addition to house cleaning and all the rest, Jack gradually began to take over all the duties of the railroad, even though officially he was not an employee of the railroad. Now, there was a lot to remember on that job. You know, the daily responsible, responsibilities of that signal tower included working the levers, as well as the tower controls that would open and close all of the sighting switches. But Jack never complained. After all, Jim was his friend. And for more than nine years, Jack kept house for Jim. For more than nine years, he made that daily trip to the tower to operate that heavy equipment until one day Jack died of tuberculosis. Now, in all of those nine years, Jack had never made a single mistake. He never threw a switch incorrectly. He never shunted a car off to the side in air. Not one accident, not one narrow miss on that time. Now, you can go to Jack's grave today. He was buried where he died. He's buried in Cape Colony, South Africa, not far from that little outpost where he worked for almost a decade out of love for his friend. His grave is a silent testimony to his selfishness. Now, by the way, did I mention that Jack, who cleaned house and pumped water and tended the garden and manned the switch tower, 
was not a man at all. He was a baboon. A monkey. Now, when I heard that story, I thought to myself, if an ape, an ape can demonstrate that kind of love, can't we who call ourselves Christians be known for our love more than anything else? Because love is what? Love is for giving away. It's not for hanging on to. Let me get back to our text. Uh, You'll see the next screen. I've got to put them all out there. Love is greater than a whole bunch of things. I just want to talk very briefly about each one of them. That's what Paul says. Paul says, first of all, that, that love is far greater than words. Now, we know that the Corinthians really enjoyed the eloquence of their orators. I mean, they had people like Demosthenes and Sophocles and Euripides and that famous Greek philosopher Anonymous and a whole bunch of other people. Uh, Now, persuasive speech is a really great gift, and every century has produced some outstanding speakers. I mean, for example, you know, Patrick Henry in the early days of this country, you know, give me liberty or give me death, got people all charged up and the nation rose up to fight. Or Winston Churchill, who rallied an entire nation that was struggling, the the country of England during World War II. Or think about it, a previous... Uh, president that we had, President Ronald Reagan, who was called what? The great communicator, a guy who could move people to action. Or Martin Luther King. I, I remember at seminary, we had to learn how to do that speech about, I have a dream. And I tell you, the only person who could really do that well was Martin Luther King. But you know, there are other examples of what pers- persuasive speech minus love Produces. Let me give you one example from history. Adolf Hitler. Persuasive speecher, speech speecher. And I are a speecher. Uh, a persuasive speaker who had no love and destroyed a country. Now, Paul compared these loveless words to tuneless crashes or clanging cymbals. No harmony, no melody, just a whole bunch of noise. I want you to think about this. When Jesus ascended back into heaven and he told the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we know that Christianity literally exploded across the Holy Roman Empire. Now, how did that happen? It was due to the fact that Christians preached the love of Jesus. They talked about it, but they also backed it up with a practical demonstration of that love Not with words, but with actions. Let me give you an example. In Stockholm, Sweden, uh, a woman uh, was hurrying to kind of catch a streetcar, and she kind of tumbled down before she got there, and the streetcar went over her, and she was trapped underneath it. Uh, The police called in a crane to lift up that uh, streetcar and get it off of her body. Now, while waiting... There was a big crowd that kind of gathered around that streetcar. You know, we always got people want to stand and look at stuff like that. But one man kind of pushed through the crowd, and he crawled underneath the streetcar, and he told the lady, take my hand. And she took his hand, and she said later that she kind of felt a strange warmth and courage. It calmed her down and prevented her from going into shock. And after that crane came and lifted 
often, the woman is released, she said, I never thought an outstretched hand could mean so much. But friends, Jesus has done the same thing. God has stretched out his hand to help us. And if you look at those outstretched hands, you're going to notice that they've got a nail print in it. And he calls on us to do what? To be willing to help other people, to reach out our hands and to offer our outstretched hands to other people. Now, it also says love is greater than prophecy. Well, prophecy or preaching, whatever you want to call it, is declaring the revealed word of God. Love is even greater than those who preach, he says, those who, who put the word of God up. Now, I want you to think back about pastors you've known in your lives. Now, some of you who have been here since the Indians were here, you did go back, you've got a long history of pastors. You had one here that was here for 35 years, Pastor Helbert. You know, I'm working up just trying to get two years done. I think back on my life growing up at St. John's in Seward, Nebraska. And I can think of Pastor Yauk, and I think of Pastor Spitz, and I, I think of Pastor Heideman, who was there for a long time. All of these pastors in my life, all of whom did what? They declared the revealed Word of God. And I greatly admired these pastors. Let me tell you what I admired most about them. What I admired most about them was that they were simply men who loved God and loved people. I really can't remember very many sermons that any of them ever preached. Now, part of that's because I'm getting old and I don't remember much anymore. But I don't remember a lot of, I mean, Pastor Heidemann, I was around here for a long time. I really don't remember any sermons. But I can tell you, I remember that he loved God and that he loved people. Well, let's go to the third one, knowledge. Knowledge minus love produces horrible things, like more efficient ways to abort babies or chemical or biological warfare. I mean, knowledge by itself kind of compounds problems rather than solving them. We need kind of a marriage of love and knowledge. Love transforms our learning into power. Love puts feet on all of the facts that we've got stored in our brain. The woman who came to her pastor and said, you know, pastor, I have been a Christian for 20 years. I have read my Bible. I have read books on how to win souls. I have memorized scripture verses. I've taken courses on evangelism. I've taken courses on how to win the lost. And yet I have never won a single person to the Lord. Why is that? Well, the pastor's answer kind of surprised her. He said, it's because your eyes are dry. Your eyes are dry. Well, he went on to explain, he said, you, you have failed not for want of knowledge, but rather out of a lack of love. He said, when you really love someone's soul, you will care enough to actually weep for them. Well, she went home that night with a broken heart, but sat and read her scriptures. And as she was praying that night, her heart suddenly strangely warm, and her unbelieving sister came to mind. And so she went to her sister immediately, and with tears running down her face, wrapped her sister in her arms and said, more than anything else in the world, I want you to know Jesus. And that night, her sister 
came to know Jesus? Do we care that much to get past knowledge? Oh, they've heard about Jesus, that's enough. No, go and you know, weep for those lost people. I mean, can anybody here today think of somebody that you could go and put your arms around today with genuine tears in your eyes and say, friend, more than anything in the world, I want you to know Jesus. It's greater than faith, which may surprise you. Faith is a great gift. Without it, we can't please God. It's the foundation upon which all of love builds. I mean, an individual who comes to Christ in faith has to do that before he can know anything about God's love. But faith minus love equals nothing. That's what the book of James says. How would you think back about the risen Jesus? When risen Jesus is, is back, he's on a seashore one day, the disciples come in, and they spot Jesus cooking some fish on there, and Jesus takes Peter aside. Remember that story? Takes Peter aside. Now, does he say to Peter, Peter, do you believe in me? Now, he didn't say that, did he? He said, Peter, do you Love me. Now, in verse 13 of our text that Jimmy read before, we know that there are three things that are really big deal. Faith, hope, and love. But what does it say? The greatest one of these is love. Why is that? Well, I've often told couples at a wedding the reason that love is so important is because God is love. That's what First John tells us. But love surpasses faith and hope because it is the most God-like Quality, and it's the longest lasting. What's well, greater than benevolence, which is just a, uh, that's your $10 word for the day that means giving. Now, I can think of all kinds of examples of giving without loving. I mean, for example, giving out of a sense of obligation, or giving to get rid of a sense of guilt, or giving to attain some personal attention, or giving to get a tax break, or uh, giving to buy influence. But I always think of an old quote. I don't know who said this. I've heard it any number of times. It says, we can give without loving, but we cannot love without giving. Or love is greater than martyrdom. You know, laying down your life for Christ. I mean, to sacrifice your life for someone else, it's possible to do that without a devotion to Jesus. I mean, it could be some sort of a fanatical devotion to a cause, like all of these suicide bombers that you read about or hear about. I mean, sometimes it takes more courage to live for Jesus than it does to die for Jesus. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I think it's on your message outline, it says, living the love of Christ is the greatest challenge, the highest calling to which a person can respond. Now, today is also Transfiguration Sunday. And I truly believe that God really wants every last one of us here today to see Jesus transfigured before our eyes. He wants us all to see Jesus in a sharper image than ever before. I mean, just like what happened to Peter, James, and John on that mountain that day, he wants us to have a clearer picture of who he is. He wants you to know Jesus deeply and intimately and personally, and the question is, why? I think it's because he also knows that the more intimately, deeply, and personally you see Jesus, the more it will lead you into living a life of love. People who love Jesus little 
hold bigger grudges. People who don't love Jesus very much lose their temper maybe quicker. He says, but if you know Jesus, the more you know him, the more Christ-like you become, the greater lover you become. Now, I've got to tell you that this deep, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus, you can't, you can't learn it in a sermon. I don't care who the preacher is. I don't care how good the sermon is. I mean, I could stand up here all day, all night, and talk to you about Jesus. But in order to walk closely with Jesus, you have to experience him for yourself. And that really begins with a decision. And it may seem odd to speak to a group of people who, by and large, are church people, but I really don't like assuming that anybody here is saved. That everybody here is saved, I mean. But it's a decision just to become his follower. To ask Jesus to come into your heart. And to come into your heart in a much bigger way than ever before. And to come and invite him just to be Savior and Lord of your life. And then when that happens, it continues with a lifelong dedication to knowing him more completely. And i got to tell you that some of the best times that I've ever had where I got to know him more completely, to have a sharper image of Jesus, were times of stillness and times of solitude, times of contemplation. It's not to say you can't experience that in a big crowd. I've certainly been in big crowds of people where they were worshiping Jesus like crazy. And boy, it was like, wow, I see Jesus even sharper than before. I can tell you, laying flat on my back for a week in the hospital in October, I had plenty of time to think about Jesus. I got to tell you, I, I came away with a deeper appreciation of a number of things, but one was just a little bit sharper image of who he really was. And see, once you get that sharper image, then in your work, in your daily life, wherever God has chosen to plant you, you get to reveal that love to other people in the world. So I'd ask you today, friends, do you, do you want to know Jesus better? Do you want to see a sharper image of Jesus in your life? Do you want to picture Jesus for who he really is? In Bible class this morning, studying Revelation, I said, what are the pictures you normally have of Jesus? Well, we had Jesus as a baby in the cradle, Jesus on the cross, Jesus walking down the road. You know, the kind of normal pictures. But when we looked at the book of Revelation, what did we see? We saw an awesome picture of who Jesus really is. That King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the eternal Son of God. Yeah, if you want to see him clearer, then you need to make it a habit. And you need to make it a habit starting right now to spend time with him. I got to tell you, I have spent, Nancy and I have been married 45 going on 46 years. Seems like only yesterday. Is that right? Okay. Good for me. 45 going on 46 years. We've known each other uh, longer than that because we dated, started dating when she was a sophomore in high school and I was a senior in high school. So we've known each other a long time. I know a lot about her. And she knows a lot about me. We kind of know the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's what happens when you spend time 
with people. You get to know them really well. Now, in the same way you get to know Jesus, the thing is you don't find out the good, the bad, and the ugly because there is no bad and there is no ugly. It's nothing but good. How do you get to know anybody? You sit down at the same table with them. I didn't really know, Dee, that you and I were born on the exact same day in the same year. We're both a couple old geezers. September the 16th, 1944, it was a good year for having men. But how did we, we just kind of got to know each other. We took, our wives took us out for a nice meal, and we got to talk, and we started hearing things about each other. And see, the more you sit down and start sharing your life and listen to their life, the same thing with Jesus. Jesus wants to know about your life and he wants to share his life with you. You've got to kind of sit and be still sometimes. Listen to his voice. Meditate on the present. And he'll teach you. He will teach you how to be a great lover. And friends, again, I'm going to tell you that love is the greatest force in the world. It chases doubt away. Love banishes fear from within. You're afraid? What does the Bible say? Perfect love drives fear away. Love conquers indifference. Love is what sends us to our knees. Love is what motivates us to witness to others without dry eyes, with wet eyes. Love is what sent Jesus to that cross. Love is what inspires us to leave everything behind and say, Lord, I will follow you. One last question. How's your love life? How's your love life? Remember, we are commanded to love. It's not an option. We're commanded to love. And who are we commanded to love? To love our God, to love our neighbor, to love our fellow believers, to love the sinners, and to even love our enemies. Let's pray. Father, very simple prayer today. Make us lovers like you. Teach us your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.